So, the big question is this. How are ambitious people like us, who don't have a lot of resources, did not go to Ivy League colleges, were not born into wealth, how do we become resourceful enough? Use our creativity, our dedication, and a little bit of crazy to bootstrap our way to realizing our dreams. Whether it is launching a new company, launching a new app, or making it to the top of the corporate ladder. That is the question. And this podcast will give you the answers. Please like, share, and subscribe to get new episodes, videos, and other updates. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this new episode of Bootstrapping Your Dreams show. I'm your host, Manuj Agarwal. And today we are talking with Michael the Eloa. I'm sorry if I mispronounce your last name. Um, uh, it's a tricky Italian a, name. Sorry? It's a tricky Italian name. <laughs> he's in the business of producing businesses from Cleveland for the world. Michael has more than 15 years of experience partnering with organizations to develop businesses and economic growth initiatives. Through, the, through his work at several startups and emerging growth companies in Northeast Ohio, Michael has gained an extensive understanding of the culture and needs of high growth companies with a particular focus on technology. He holds a bachelor degree from Xavier University and an MBA from Case Westman. He's a second lieutenant from the Ohio Military Reserve. He knows everything one should know about emergency assistance and natural disaster logistics. And last but not least, he is the chief executive officer of the Front Porch Media Network. So welcome, Michael. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's an honor to have you here. Um, all right, let's jump in. Uh, so tell us a little bit about your work uh, with Front Porch Media Network. Yeah, well, Front Porch is in the business of creating, uh, producing, and distributing podcasts globally. Uh, we started the business in January of 2017. It was myself and two interns, mm-hmm. and uh, our investor handed me a 10 terabyte disk of content that she wanted to put into podcasts. And from that disk, we started off with four shows our first year, probably did 12 last year, and now we're past 20 some shows on our three distinct um, podcast networks. And we're growing like a, like a weed where um, sometimes in life you feel like you're just holding on for dear life. You, you're on this rocket ship. Yeah. And that's it precisely where we are today with the, obviously the podcast industry is very hot and our shows are starting to take root and find an audience. And that's been um, exceptionally gratifying. We've grown to 12 uh, employees and looks like we're going to hire our 13th pretty soon. And, uh, you know, you've made it as a company when you hire your first intern. So our first intern started on Monday as well. Nice. Very awesome. Um, all right. So it sounds like you help other uh, businesses. Like, it, is, is it like a platform where other producers can jump on and sort of establish their business? Yeah, that's a recent phenomenon for us. We originally started off producing our own shows. Okay. But since last November, we launched a new network called Evergreen Podcast. Mm-hmm. And that network is is a mix. Um, we do our own shows, but we also have producers coming on who have their own. Uh, they don't have to be in Cleveland. We, it's a, it really is a, an international platform. And we obviously distribute 
their, their podcast for them. And that's a big movement right now. The big shift in podcasting is independent podcasts starting to move onto a network, much like a ABC, CBS, NBC, sure. that collection of shows. Yes. And what, what is the benefit of, of doing that for an uh, individual producer, maybe if, uh, like for myself? Well, the benefit obviously is on the sales cycle that we can help with advertising and, and sponsorships. The, the network itself sells the entire, the entire downloads of the network uh-huh. as advertising and sponsorship vehicle. I Whereas see. an independent, you might not be able to sort of aggregate those types of numbers. Got it. Got it. So it's, it's like a, uh, everybody's uh, content is pooled and then you have um, sort of uh, bulk uh, deals that, that happen. That, that's correct. Okay. So I understand. So, you know, the theme of the show is bootstrapping. So uh, you, you mentioned investor, like, uh, did you take a lot of investments early on or did you bootstrap it mostly yourself? Year one for this particular company was heavily uh, bootstrapped between myself and, and our, our key investor at this point. Uh, It's gotten the, the dollar amounts have gotten much larger Okay. Since we started, because we've just we're growing at such an, a rapid rate, to the point where we've got a firm commitment from the family to, that has invested in us to continue for a period of time. But we've finished up a pitch deck, and we're starting to shop that around to get some additional outside capital. So I'm actually heading up to New York uh, to talk with a few groups, as well as some groups in Cleveland, to you know hopefully cement an outside round that would be shared by our current investors. You know, bootstrapping is not an uncommon thing for me. I this would I've done a number of startups. My first one that I did in Cleveland was a company called Blue Bridge Networks, which is still around and in downtown Cleveland. And I had a friend who owned a building, and he was like, yeah, I, "My fifth floor tenant left me, and they built out something, and I don't I don't know what it is, but if you can come by and check it out." So I walk in, I'm like, "Oh, it's a data center room. Uh, this would be great. Uh, how much do they want for it?" He's like, "Well, I you know I." I, I think they won't just want to give it away. So we, we <laughs> bought this uh, huge data center room for a dollar back in 2003. Wow. And then uh, bootstrapped that. We finally raised three and a half million, half a million of which came from Cisco Capital, we, you know, starting to get some national uh, dollars in. And that was a, a really profound uh, experience of literally sitting around a card table with three other uh, founders and trying your best with this really inexpensive asset that is really expensive to operate yeah. and try to get that thing moving. That's a, that's I mean, a very something on a smaller scale here. We're, this is not data center business. We're not buying a lot of infrastructure per se, but the production of a show does cost money. Yeah. And, yeah. All right. That's a, that's an amazing story. Uh, so, I mean, the, the lesson is, uh, you know, anybody can bootstrap. It may not be common for you, but, uh, um, it may be common for you, but a lot of people have apprehensions about bootstrapping and that's sort of the message that we want to convey through this podcast. Um, now let's, uh, let's talk about Cleveland. So I, I understand that you have, uh, you know, um, like very close ties with Cleveland and, uh, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a purpose, uh, that you're trying to serve, uh, by building this business in Cleveland as well. So tell us a little bit about that. Right. You know, I'm not originally from Cleveland, Ohio. I moved up here to attend grad school at Case Western Reserve. And I was just immediately smitten by the city. I I had never seen Cleveland. I got accepted into uh, Case. And when I started to drive up, 
there's a corner where you turn on I-77, the main highway into the city. There's a massive steel factory and it was shooting flames out of the plumes of the factory. And I was like, man, I just, I've hit a home run. I love this city because it's, it is so blue collar, so granular. It has definitely gone through some challenging times. Uh-huh. You know, in 1950, there's nearly a million people living in the city itself. There's probably 380,000 today. No. So that, that large population decrease happened with the large acceleration of companies leaving and, and, and closing down. I, I love that uh, blue collar, uh, hard work ethic that's Im- embedded here. Wow. I also love Cleveland because no one's ever told me no. I mean, I've done a lot of interesting startups and, uh, and, and just pet projects for myself. Now, getting back to the city of Cleveland itself, I, I, was, I worked for two mayors at the city level, city government level, mm-hmm. and where, where I was known as the tech czar for the city of Cleveland. And, and my job was to help shift the city from this old industrial uh, city to more of the new economy. And, and how do you do that when the mindset is still stuck yeah. back in the, uh, in the old economy sector? So it was a fascinating run. I, I love Cleveland even more because of that experience. I got to meet a lot of people, a lot of building owners, a lot of entrepreneurs. And then following that, I was asked by the, the large daily newspaper here, the Plain Dealer, to become the tech columnist. Oh, and okay. so I, I wrote for the, for the newspaper for five years. Now, having grown up in a very small city south of here, you say, hey, you're going to work for mayor instead of a large city. Oh, and right okay. for the, like, That's the craziest nutty story I've ever heard in my life. And yet it proves that in Cleveland, you can create your own destiny. You can do the things that you want to do uh, and make a big difference uh, in, in the city. We were lucky. I, I helped move 37 tech companies into the city of Cleveland. Oh, really? Wow. Oh, yeah, yeah. About 1,000 new jobs. I spent pretty close to $20 million of city money to rejuvenate buildings and parts of town that needed infrastructure and new designs. And today, downtown Cleveland is probably the hottest downtown in the United States. It is a boomtown. Uh, new apartment towers going up, new condos, new hotels. It's, it is night and day from when I started, you know, almost 15 years ago at the city until today. And I'd like to think I had a little bit to do with that. That's awesome. Um, that's, that's a great story. Uh, so uh, there was something that, uh, that happened, like, you know, you said the population shrunk, like, was there any, like any disaster, any, any uh, drastic uh, change that happened that caused it or was it just gradual? Well, it, it started in the late fifties, say 59 was when you started to see the population decrease. But from 1970 to 1980, you almost lost a good third of the population. It happened. It was the seeds were planted many years ago, but when it finally hit, it happened pretty quick. Um, It it, it was the loss of your industrial base, you know, primarily. Um, The city was a huge manufacturing center, probably one of the largest in the United States. And it just didn't shift to whatever you want to call the new economy, whereas Pittsburgh and Chicago and other places clearly moved in a different direction much sooner than we did. Uh, awesome. Um, all right, let's move on. So uh, what can you tell us about that interesting initiative of yours, entrepreneurs and residents that you're running in Lakewood, Ohio? Uh, so is it like a startup incubator or, or what is it about? 
Yeah, here's another opportunity to kind of parlay my experience into a civic endeavor, which I really dig. So Lakewood is the city right outside of Lake, uh, out of Cleveland, so they share a common border. I didn't want to move too far from the city. My wife and I, we, we, we uh, had a child, and she wanted to move to uh, – we lived – in Ohio city, which is this up and coming area near downtown. Mm-hmm. And she just wanted to get away. Yeah, you're typical, you know, we have a kid, we got to move then. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't want to move too far. In fact, we can see downtown from our house. We, we live on the, on Lake Erie. So I can see the lake in downtown. It's a very cool area. Um, but the city of Lakewood approached me to, to kind of parlay my experiences with starting companies and my expertise with the city of Cleveland to do something here. And one of the first things we decided to do was build an incubator in the city of Lakewood. Now, Lakewood is the third largest city in Cuyahoga County. So um, there's 60 some cities in Cuyahoga County. It's mm-hmm. crazy, but Cleveland's the largest and in Parma than Lakewood. And Lakewood didn't have any infrastructure to help mm-hmm. entrepreneurs. I see. So we created an incubator uh, with a partner called Launch House. Uh-huh. And we had, Believe it or not, we had Lyft in there for a while because they just started their Cleveland oh, wow. operations. Uh, we had a number of uh, tech companies and energy companies in there. It was fantastic to the point where we had to move it out of this building into a building down the street because it was just getting too big. Uh-huh. And there was a lot more requests for privacy. It was just a big open room. So they wanted more conference rooms, more private areas. And so we moved it down the street. And it's, uh, it's starting to flourish. It's really, really exciting. That's awesome. So tell us a little bit about this whole incubator thing. A lot of entrepreneurs in our audience and, you know, they, they may want to kick off their startups. Uh, what are the benefits of joining an incubator and what kind of costs are involved? Yeah, you know, I think one of the reasons why people have this hesitancy to walk down the path of entrepreneurship is one, the loss of income and two, how, you know, how long can I afford to, to play this role? We wanted to make it very inexpensive. So it was, it was like $125 a month. Oh. And you had full access to the room and TVs and all this other technology. And then you had access to me in the city of Lakewood. So if you needed to say, uh, I'm interested in moving into a new office space or I need to hire people, I was the conduit to help them with a number of resources around, around the city. Awesome. Um, so, yeah, it was re- it was a really nice inexpensive way for someone to start and have access to uh, ideas, concepts, but also what I found fascinating here. So we opened it right next door to our own studio here at front porch media was the interactivity of different people and different cultures, different thought processes getting together to do something super special. Yeah, that's exciting for sure. Uh, I mean, startups uh, by themselves are exciting. And when you put a number of them together, I'm sure it's a, it's a crazy uh, experience for sure. Um, yeah, I miss them not being here. I wish we still had it here. But we were growing too. So we ended up taking over the incubation space and they moved to a larger facility. I see, I see. Um, all right. So uh, uh, onwards and upwards, I guess. Uh, so... Uh, Tell me, like you were handling so many projects at the same time. You're working with so many organizations. Uh, time management uh, could be, uh, you know, an issue and, and a lot of people struggle with it. So how do you manage your time uh, across all these activities that you're handling? Yeah, I wish I had a secret sauce for that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I am a night owl by trade, so I get a lot of finished at night. Right. I'm actually wrapping up a book, so... 
typically I'll work here from seven thirty, eight o'clock in the morning, six o'clock at night. I go work out, spend time with my kid. And then I write my book till 11. And then, you know, it's, it's all over again. Uh, you know, time management is the, one of the most critical things. And I think you would agree that you have to learn, you need the discipline of whatever your lane is, is making sure you're in that lane. And there's these, these outside influences. Yeah. yeah. Just cannot intrude. And it's tough because sometimes you get to tell people like I, I'm, I'm in a hole for a few months. Yeah. I'll, I'll talk to you when I get out. That's a tough thing to say to people that you love yeah. or respect and admire. But I think those who are in the know would respect that. Like, yeah, you go do what you need to do and get it finished. And I'll see you uh, when you decide to come out of that uh, rabbit hole. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it is, it is a challenge for sure. Like, you know, um, I've been very uh, uh, like almost uh, anal about prioritization and making sure that I only, uh, you know, look at the tasks which are very important and impactful and delegate the rest. So, and still, yeah, it's, it's a complete struggle and it's a lifelong learning process, I guess. Delegation is one of the hardest things I've had to learn too. Mm-hmm. And we've got a great staff and, and they're, they're all very young. We, we've kind of hand selected people who we thought would fit into the culture and mindset of what we're trying to do and then try and teach them yeah. the startup experiences that we, that we have at, yeah. at the management executive level. And it's a, it's at sometimes it can be, <laughs> a little frustrating. You're biting your lip a little bit. Yeah. But what I love is they're the, our staff is starting to take control. Like they're actually writing our strategic plans now and our marketing plans. And they're, they're coming to us asking for a little advice counsel. What would you nip? What would you talk? How would you do it differently? And then they, they go, they run. Yeah. And that's where you want to be. And that's, that, that's helped me with my time management is yeah. finally getting the staff you know, built up to where they feel like they can take everything on themselves. Yeah. Yeah, that's a very important lesson, you know, uh, for, for entrepreneurs. Learn to delegate and, and uh, encourage your team to, to uh, take action. And then, you know, as you said, like once they are at a stage where they can sort of run the, run the show themselves and you can uh, get into more strategic thinking, you know, that's the best uh, case scenario for any company, I think. Amen. You, you, I'm a firm believer of that. So we're, we're simpatico with that thought. Awesome. All right. So, I mean, uh, you know, you have accomplished so much and you have helped so many people, but I'm sure you had your share of mistakes. So uh, can you tell us, uh, uh, you know, some of the, the most critical mistakes that you made or, or I should mm-hmm. put it this way, like the, the mistakes that made you learn the most critical lessons? Yeah. You know, I, the largest company I'd ever bought <clears throat> until recently was in, back in 1999. And uh, I was working at National City Venture Capital. Uh, the bank isn't around anymore, but uh, one of the outcrops of that experience was I, I got introduced to this um, very troubled coffee chain in Akron, which is a little city south of here. And I bought it, and I had overextended myself, and I, d- I didn't have the management team to help. There were a lot of issues with it. Uh, and day one, I should have known, there. there's just three or four things that happened in quick sequence on day one that I was like, I, I have really gotten my in, in over my head with this particular <laughs> opportunity. It was my second MBA for sure. Because one of the things they really don't teach you in, in at, at the graduate level for an MBA is, is really operation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unless you come from that to, to, and I, and I hadn't, I, before that I'd been in banking and, and venture capital Nah. And you think you know, but you don't really know what it is <laughs> company until you get in there and do it. And I made 
every mistake possible. Uh, in fact, we were talking about a few days ago where near the end it was getting really bad. We're starting to miss payroll, and you know, payroll to me is sacred. Yeah, these are people who are you know doing everything they can to propel you in your business, and to start missing that uh, really had a profound effect on me. Yeah. To, you know, um, you know, recently we management team didn't get paid until a few days after we had made sure everyone else got paid. These are important, just little things that you, you learn when you get into the operation of a business. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. So, so don't overextend yourself and be prepared to, uh, to learn the, the things that were not taught in, uh, in degree programs. So those are, yeah. You know, my first day on the job at this coffee company, we had, we had coffee, we had a coffee factory. We roasted coffee. We had little stores all over the city. And day one, one of my, my delivery van caught fire. And then an hour later, someone in one of our stores bit into a muffin and it had a, a rivet in, in the muffin. So they broke their two front teeth. Oh my God. I never. Yeah. I, I was never taught this in grad school. <laughs> and you just had a, all right, let me logically think through how this is going to go. I've got the fire department on one phone and you know, my store manager on the other uh, detailing me these tragedies that are unfolding on day one on my first day. That's interesting. Well, I mean, this is life. Nobody can predict what's going to happen. So, um, uh, now let, let's talk about, uh, you know, the work that you have done. Like, you know, you, you seems like you have passion for, uh, civic action and, you know, helping the, the community. Uh, so what role has that played in your entrepreneurial journey? Well, it's helped. I've been introduced uh, because of my time as the Texar and entrepreneur residence. I've been introduced probably to a set of, of people that I never would have gotten introduced to otherwise. And I mean, <laughs> you can champion yourself about how great you really are, but it's the people around you who really kind of, you know, my feeling is the community kind of makes you who you are. Yeah. And uh, so I've been introduced to just some really wonderful uh, individuals who've had faith in me. I mean, in the last five years, I've probably raised more money for all the companies I've been involved with than I ever have before. And it's because of the people that I've met and the trust that's been established. Yeah. So very important uh, uh, to, to me yeah. is we kind of built our own ecosystem of, um, of investors and idea people. Like we'd come up with an idea and like, yeah, you take care of that. We'll all invest and I'll stay and do my thing. It's really been a wonderful experience of all these entrepreneurs, investors that are working together. Awesome. Awesome. But I mean, it started with you first, you know, uh, expressing your desire to give back or, or actually taking action uh, and giving back, isn't it? Well, I, I have to say the city of Cleveland, uh, I, I've never been more honored to do anything in my life because the city <clears throat> really merited a new beginning. Mm -hmm. And it was, people were so down on the city, especially a lot of the politicians and civic leaders. All they had known for most of their life was retreat. Like the city was in full fail for so many years. Yeah. And to me, it was like, my God, we got all these assets in front of us. Why aren't we using them to the full potential that they should be? Mm -hmm. And that it, it was me and, you know, 10, 15 other young people. I, you know, I can't take full credit, but all of us working together to plant these seeds like Cleveland's awesome. We can do a lot of amazing things. And so, you know, mine just happened to be in the entrepreneurial and tech space. But, you know, when I started, I think 3% of the total jobs in Cleveland were technology jobs. Mm. 
it's now like 16%. It's the third largest hiring base yeah, yeah. in Northeast Ohio. Now, like I said, I just planted seeds. Yeah. But the belief that you can do this is now cemented. Like, yeah, people really feel like, yeah, it's a great place to start a tech company. My, my one thing that I wish was more relevant or evident here is capital. Cleveland still lags behind other cities and capital flows of coming in to support these, these, these groups. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's true for, you know, majority of the city. Like most of the capital is locked up in these like big pockets in New York and Silicon Valley and whatnot. But uh, yeah, I mean, um, I keep sort of uh, stats on the cities and Cleveland is, is rising for sure, particularly in the tech space. So uh, congratulations on all your efforts and success. So, I mean, the lesson to be learned is, is that, you know, anybody can take action, not only for yourself, but for the community. And in the long term, it pays off as, uh, you know, whatever you put out there comes back, right? Well, I, I agree with that. If you're a regular entrepreneur or a social entrepreneur or an advocate, just getting out there and having your voice heard is, is the key thing. You know, it's, it's all in your execution, whether it's a business plan or, you know, your civic issue that you want to get across and solve. Yeah. It's all in execution. Exactly. All right, let's talk about execution then. So, you know, sales and marketing is a huge uh, part of, of uh, running a, a company. Um, so, you know, and, and you uh, seem to have done very well at that. So tell us, uh, you know, what are some of the key pieces of advice you'll give to young entrepreneurs or first-time entrepreneurs about sales and marketing? Yeah, it costs twice as much and takes twice as long as you will ever, you know, everything. Uh-huh. We, we started this business again in 2017. And to be honest with you, none of us were podcast. We, we were podcast enthusiasts, but not experts in podcasting. Uh-huh. Sales and marketing have been uh, probably the most challenging things for us. Now I, you can see me, I'm sitting in front of like these podcast tiles. These are all of our show tiles behind me. Uh-huh. Creating a show easy, we spent a lot of money in our distribution model of how to get it out to the globe. We've been in 120 countries, which is really cool. Our downloads are rising. The monetization of that increase in downloads has been a trick for us. And quite frankly, for most, you know, we're still burning through cash. Uh, we've got our costs controlled, but you know, the sales and marketing just haven't hit the tempo that we want. Mm-hmm. I call it laggard revenue. Yeah. Now we're seeing upticks. You know, but it's still not to the point where we're kind of break even on a monthly basis. Mm-hmm. On a gross margin basis, yes, but not on a full operating profit basis. So, you know, we're, we're trying to figure it out. We think we've got some things figured out. There's a lot of cool technology behind how to get these things out and how to get it monetized. Mm-hmm. We're just trying to break some rules and conventions in the podcast industry that you need a certain amount of downloads to be profitable a couple of our shows who are below that kind of national model, what a download should be to get money are lower, but we're starting to get some revenue on these shows because of the, because of of two things, really the demographics that we're going after and the engagement of those demographics. So they're listening to a podcast more than a hundred percent, which is they're going back and listening to it again. And that that's really energizing uh, our, our advertisers. We've had some really interesting advertisers hover, uh, great courses. And for a little group in Lakewood, these are monumental moments for us to have these groups and they've been very pleased with what we've accomplished, but we need more. And yeah. we, we just started building our sales organization last July. It's been a year since we hired a chief revenue officer 
uh-huh. implemented a, a full process because before that it was all like, we got to build a catalog. We need shows. And we spent a lot of money on that. So I wish I had the Holy grail for a podcaster, <laughs> but I will say it just takes, it always takes longer than you think. Yeah. And, and to me, it's like building a monthly reoccurring revenue business at this point. We've got sunk cost in production and distribution, and now we got to start, you know, getting those advertising dollars layered on top. It's going to take easily two more years uh, before you start to see significant profitability and, and positive cash flow. But we know where we're going, and yeah. we know what to do. Yeah, those are the lessons. Like, you know, uh, like a lot of entrepreneurs, they sort of ignore sales and marketing earlier on. They're just busy building the company. But, you know, I think uh, – to your point, uh, like just keep at it and then don't, uh, don't sort of lose sight of the revenue. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, things happen slowly for sure. Um, so can you take outside advice too? I mean, I, I, I'm not the Oracle, all-knowing Oracle. We hired someone who had deep radio experience and that the, the language translated from radio to podcasting because they, they talk in the same language, advertising. And that's had a, a great influence on our conversations mm. now it's, in, it's on us to start closing the deals that are in front of us awesome. I, I can't say that our pipeline's probably grown five or six times since we brought in a chief revenue officer and an account manager mm-hmm. and i think those will continue to climb but it took us a while a long time to get there a lot of sacrifice mm-hmm. okay um now uh you know lot of entrepreneurs, uh, particularly, you know, the very rich and successful ones, they are sort of, uh, you know, uh, portrayed as, as vultures or sharks or, you know, somebody who, who, uh, who are ruthless. Um, but, you know, talking to you, you know, I uh, get a totally different vibe. Like, you know, you're, you're uh, seems like a very passionate um, social citizen and want to uh, help out the community. So tell me in your experience, you know, what is the reality? Are most entrepreneurs sort of uh, you know, ruthless and uh, self-centered or uh, they are more, um, you know, giving like yourself. I can't speak for the entire universe of entrepreneurs. I can speak about my universe. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, I, sure. You, you have friction with a few people. There's no question that that comes out, mm-hmm. but the group that I've, the hundreds of entrepreneurs that I've met and um, the dozens that I, you know, that I get to work with, now, I, I, I have to say they've been the most genuine, nice people because they all want you to succeed. That was one of the personal lessons for me was being a champion for others. It's not an easy lesson because you're so focused on, well, I got a kid, I got a wife, I, yeah. I got to provide. We all, we, you know, we've got our own things that we need to take care of. Yeah. But the lesson from other entrepreneurs giving me one, more importantly, their, their time, their insight, their knowledge base, the invitation to come see them, you know, personally on, on their turf, which yeah, is yeah. always a fascinating thing to go see other people, how they work. Sure. The money and the cash, that all came in the investments. That came much, much later, wow. the establishing of trust. But I have to say, more than anything, everyone that I've surrounded myself with wants each and every other person to succeed, to be wealthy, healthy, and wise. Yeah. It may not happen with everybody, but yeah. And you pre-select, right? I'm, I'm sure you run into entrepreneurs. You're like, that's a cool individual, but I, I, I want to keep them at arm's length. There's something there that I don't, 
yeah. you every, everyone has an internal thermometer yeah of who's who's good and bad and, sure. you know you you know, good people can figure that stuff out. Yeah, no, it, it's been fascinating for me as well. Like, you know, um, uh, obviously I, I come from humble uh, roots as well, but, uh, you know, as I approach successful people, I find them to be helpful, like not, not sort of dismissing. And, and uh, even if they don't know the answer, they are, you know, they are polite. And, and uh, in many cases they do help out, you know, so, uh, so it's, it's a, it's a good community. Uh, and uh, I just want to share that with the entrepreneurs in the audience that, you know, you don't have to be uh, this mean uh, self-centered person to be an entrepreneur. So, you know, nice people can be business folks as well. Um, I think the nice, you know, you, you don't want to be taken advantage of, obviously, but I think the nicer you are, the more you give back, it comes back tenfold. You know, I just really believe there's karma out there yeah. in, in the universe it's always seemed to found me, you know, and, and I think Ronald Reagan said, you know, I'm a firm believer in, in hard luck because the more I work, the better, the more I have of luck. And yeah. that's true for you. I mean, if people know you're for your hard worker and that you're honest and you're good and they're going to support you. And that's just yeah. how I do it. Awesome. Now, um, what about uh, some of the nitty gritty details of how you run your business? Like, uh, do you have any processes, like any, any advice on how to set up a business? Any, any, um, uh, software or technologies you use to run the business anything that you can uh, uh, share about that the operation side yeah i don't know how we would do this business without software as a service because we subscribed to about 40 different services yeah. to get our, our our message out in our and our and our and our, our podcast one is we early on we established financial and administrative control you know we've got a great relationship with the bank mm-hmm. Payroll is processed every two weeks and we're just, we are really honed on this process of the employees can work and we'll take care of the administrative task at hand. They shouldn't have to worry about these things Two, We created a culture where people can, we can debate an idea or a thought. We can argue about it, brother and sister, right? Have a little tumult. But once we decide to do something, we're going to go have fun and we're going to get it implemented and, and executed as quickly as possible. everything is process control here we are process uh, geeks production has a process (laughs) social media has a process marketing has a process and we meet uh, we have two key meetings every week so I don't want to overpopulate people's calendar with meetings Uh but we have a sales meeting every Monday what's happening this week what can we close what's the forecast how are we going to what are new clients? How can I help? How can I open my, my Rolodex, my LinkedIn account? We're talking about strategizing with relationships to close deals. Awesome. And then we have a staff meeting every Tuesday, and that's where the real culture comes out, the real big communications, are the big thoughts. How are we going to implement these big thoughts? What are the tactical things we need to accomplish during the week? And then we just recycle every week on those two things. That's great. Yeah, it's, it's communication at, at the end of the day is being able to, we know where we're going. This is how we're going to drive and everyone's on the same page. What we've professed though is we really want people to constantly review that process. Tell us when it's not working, when it's, it may have worked six months ago. It's not working yeah. today. Things have changed. Yeah. This is how we're going to modify that. Yeah. We're always, and I share an office with our chief creative officer, David Moss and David and I, there's a constant stream of people coming in there to tell it like it's not working anymore. 
I think I have a better idea. Let's try this software and switch out this. Uh, I love this, um, this Phoenix rising, this constant rejuvenation of the business, okay. even though we're not even three years, three years old yet. You know, we've constantly improved ourselves. I, I think that's pretty, pretty key. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I've, I've seen that myself, you know, all the sort of uh, companies that are successful and rising, they are, they never get complacent. You know, they're always sort of evaluating what they're doing, whether it's working or not. And everybody sort of gets an open, um, open mic to speak their mind. So, you know, that's, uh, that's amazing to uh, hear that you are, um, you are using similar uh, like tactics and implementing this kind of a culture. You've always wanted to work in an environment where you're welcomed and uh, your thoughts are, you know, accepted and built upon. You want a really creative environment and, uh, Listen, we can't offer a lot of benefits or high salaries, mm-hmm. but we can offer this opportunity that you can create something really profound. Yeah. And we're going to support you in that endeavor and make it happen. That's great. All right. Uh, thanks a lot for such a great interview. Um, now, uh, do you have anything else that I may not have asked so far before we jump on to your, you know, talking about your company and the services that you offer? That was pretty comprehensive. That was a lot. That was a lot of fun. That conversation was great. I appreciate uh, it. Yeah, same here. I had a lot of fun as well. So, so now before I let you go, can you tell us a little bit about your company and your services, and how you know podcasters like myself can reach out to you? Yeah, well, we're, we're, we're always welcome for the for the phone call to work with others. We this year I've made a concerted effort to push the team to go out to different podcasting events and to start connecting with people in the podcast industry and LinkedIn and, and other sources. Uh, what we've noticed is a big trend towards corporate podcasting. So we, we produce our own shows, but now we're getting hired by companies to help them create their own podcast. Yeah. So uh, we have a, a lighting company uh, called Illumitech and we created a show for them called Illumitalk mm-hmm. where they talk about key things happening in the advanced lighting industry and for them, it's like, hey, if 50 people listen to the podcast, that's wonderful. And it's actually improved their sales pipeline because people now are thinking of them as experts yeah, in yeah. advanced lighting systems. It's worked out brilliantly. We have another client, Cleveland Research. They're doing a podcast for their clients, which are hedge fund owners and managers, mutual fund managers, uh, anyone who's investing in large positions in stocks. Yeah, and stocks. Yeah. They're doing a podcast every week to talk about what they're seeing in the marketplace and key data points. And uh, they are super thrilled with the results uh, from that podcast as well. So we've learned that a big revenue line for us could in fact be corporate podcasts, you know, yeah. people uh, produce theirs. And uh, now we're starting to get phone calls like, can you build a network? So now we've got independent people with, I, I could have 10 or 12 shows. Can you just help us build you know, the website, the distribution channels, etc. Well, of course, you know, we've done that. Yeah. Uh, that may, in fact, prove to be yet another uh, really positive revenue uh, model for us. Uh, so we're pretty excited about the position we're in. It's taken two hard years. I had hair when we first started the company. Let's not get started about hair now. Huh? <laughs> yeah, all right. You, you're in the same club. Yeah. Uh, all of our senior execs have no hair. It's okay. just a funny thing. Yeah, that's a sensitive talk, topic for me for sure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> great. Thank you so much uh, for, for being on the show and sharing all your wisdom. I'm sure everyone got 
lot of value out of it. Thanks a lot. Hey, take care. So again, I'm Manoj Agarwal and thanks a lot for joining us on Bootstrapping Your Dreams show. And now, if you are an existing or an aspiring technology entrepreneur, then I invite you to check out my new online workshop, Bootstrapping Your Tech Startup Dreams. Go to go.tetranoodle.com slash boot hyphen podcast and sign up for free. I want to make sure more successful and sound decisions are made every day in your tech projects. Let's start finding solutions to your problems. So go to go.tetranoodle.com slash boot hyphen podcast and I look forward to helping you with your tech startups.